I'm Tobin Heath, two-time World Cup winner. And I'm Kristen Press, two-time World Cup winner. And this is The Recap Show. This is the first time we'll be watching the World Cup in over a decade. We know we're not alone with how we feel about the way people talk about women's sports. We want to be part of the solution. Having been there many times before ourselves, Tobin and I are going to bring to you what it's like to play in a World Cup, what's really happening behind the scenes, all the good juicy bits. The Recap Show will bring you gal culture at its finest. We all know what bro culture is, but what is gal culture? We're here to define it. This is our narrative, our culture, and we get to tell it our way. Welcome to the recap. Welcome to the show. LFG. Welcome to episode five of the recap show. Thanks to everyone who has watched our first four episodes. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe today. Now, as always, let's start with the sports. It's officially the round of 16. We've seen giants fall, underdogs rise, and some truly inspired football being played. The World Cup is intensifying, and so is the recap show. Today, Kristen and I are joined by our former performance coach and legendary sports scientist, Don Scott, and Sweden's captain, Kostas Lani. But first, Tobin's top things. The two-timer thing. Alex, Julie, Kelly, Pino, Alyssa. You all made us believe in a three-peat. Thank you. The first thing. This is the first World Cup where a player wore hijab, Nuhaila Benzina, from Morocco. This is also the first World Cup featuring an openly trans player, Quinn, from Canada. This game is for everyone. The Bone Monty thing. Bone Monty in the box? Chef's kiss. The Alyssa Nair thing. Saved a penalty, made a penalty, put the US in a position to win. That's my MVP. The investment thing. Everyone's talking about how greater investment in the game is making teams more competitive. Jamaica had to start a GoFundMe in order to get to this World Cup. They'd like to have a word. The where are the gays thing. To our knowledge, the US Women's Nash team haven't started a gay player all tournament. Where have all the gay girls gone now? The millimeter thing. It may seem like we lost this game by a millimeter, but we lost this tournament by a mile. Here we are back uh, for the daily discussion and we're obviously heartbroken. We just watched the United States losing penalties to Sweden in the round of 16. And I can start by saying that I really don't know how to be in this moment. Um, I've obviously never hosted a show and I have a lot of feelings. I had a lot of feelings. It was a long and troubling night. Um, and I don't know if I should be, you know, positive and try to help the country grieve. If we should just be mourning together. I don't know, um, what is the right way to act. I don't know what happened. Um, all I know is that, you know, it's a couple hours after the loss and I am lost. Um, Tolwyn, do you want to share how you feel? Yeah, it, it sounds dramatic, what you just said. Like, is it dramatic? I think, I think the situation is dramatic. You do. I yeah. am also dramatic. <laughs> so, yes and yes. I'm glad we could get, like, just, like, a, a small laugh in the beginning of this discussion because, you know, there were a lot of emotions, um, watching that game, I think, um, particularly like at the end of the game when the team was in PKs. Um, I think I, 
I'll let you start. Like, I was emotionally prepared for the U.S. to lose. I was prepared for them to lose because they have not shown in the tournament and even before the tournament, even years back, to be a team to me that was going to win a World Cup. So I think I was emotionally prepared for them to lose. Um, but I think the fashion of the loss, like, it, like for me, if like Sweden just came out and like won 3-0, I would have been like, okay, like it's over. Like the suffering's over. Let's like clean, clean slate this thing and let's move on. Um, but the, the fashion in which we lost was pretty traumatic. Um, I will say it felt, because we're watching these games in the middle of the night, it feels like a nightmare. Yeah. And when I went to bed, I was like, kind of hopeful that I yeah. dreamt it. And I was like, maybe when I come back to consciousness, I'm going to still be able to watch the game. Yeah. Like, that's how it felt. Um, yeah, and it, it was a weird feeling because you, like, in it's like the first 10 minutes, you kind of, like, look over at me and you say, like, we look okay, right? <laughs> um, and it was this um, kind of, like, fear a little bit, like, that something bad was going to happen the whole time uh, that was a weird feeling to have as a U.S. Women's National Team fan. Like, you always feel like a superhero, right? And that, like, the team are going to do these, like, The ball bounces our things. way. Yeah. yeah, and just, like, the feeling of everything that happened, it, it, I, you just you kind of, like, even when it felt like the, the U.S. team was um, was playing in a way that you were, like, they're going to win this game, it still never felt like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I'm happy for, like, I'm heartbroken for, for the girls. I don't think they're deserving of this. I don't think there's any excuse for the result of this tournament. There are zero excuses for it. Um, I, I can go into a whole soliloquy on uh, that, but... I, I my heart breaks because every single one of those players dedicated a lot to be in that moment, to be at the tournament, um, and it's it's hard. It's really hard. And uh, during that penalty kick shootout, I was like kind of like at the edge of the seat, and you were kind of behind, and you know I was kind of just like clasping my my hands, like praying, and um, and I heard you like sobbing behind me. There's two moments that I really <laughs> lost it. The first one was, and I'm going to cry, when Andy scored because it was so brave. It was so She amazing. just took it so well. She took it so well and her reaction was just like, that moment yeah, I was like, I, I, thought, I believed. <laughs> like I when, when Andy scored that PK yeah. and her celebration, so it was like this release so of, yeah, of energy that I just felt was really powerful. Um, it was such a big moment for her, and she just handled it so well. I was just so proud. Like, I felt it was she tears led the of joy. Team. I was so yeah. happy for her. And and then the second moment was Alyssa's face when they called it a goal. I'll never forget the look on her face because she was fantastic. And for the last two tournaments, Alyssa has been our steadiest, best player. She doesn't get any praise. She was so fantastic. I would say even she, three tournaments. She, you're right, tournaments. you're right. 2019 she World had Cup. had to do it all. 20, 20, um, 21, 2020 <laughs> uh, Tokyo Olympics. This World Cup, Alyssa Nair, like she's a dear friend of ours. And, you know, she will be the first person that says like she doesn't want any praise. But her performance, like I don't know what more you can ask 
of a player. And she took the penalty, the sixth she, penalty. She, she literally did it all. She, she didn't give up, like, did she even give up any goals? Like, her, like, <laughs> people were talking about the Swedish goalkeeper and, like, hats off to her. She was fantastic. But, like, those, like, corner kicks that, that Alyssa had to deal with, the level of difficulty in those moments is so high. And she did it again and again. She ri rose up for the U.S. Women's National Team, and she became huge, huge. And that's why it just breaks my heart, because it's just like you want things to make sense in the world, and they just don't. And when you see that ball just on the line, like I kept saying, if that's tennis, that's inbounds. Like, I yeah. don't think it was over the yeah, line. I didn't think it was like, over the line. Like, uh, yeah. I didn't see a gap between the line and the ball. It yeah. was like right at the edge, and you just think like, this doesn't make sense. But the whole she thing didn't make sense. It. Like, the whole the whole thing sense. didn't make sense. The whole tournament didn't make sense. <laughs> if you want to go back to the Olympics, that whole tournament didn't make sense. Like something's not making sense here. And like you can just take that small instance, which is the penalty kicks, right? And like we can just go into this and like, uh, like for me it was like okay, that Swedish player should have just gone up in and ripped the back of the net. They win, right? But it, it couldn't be like that, it right? Was it like had to be the slow this slow <laughs> drama, you know, <laughs> which is just like it, 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 you feel for it even more. And like you know, we can go into depth about like the the penalty kicks, but but in reality, like these are moments, right? But you add all the moments up, and then like that's what this is what you get. And so like the U.S. team, they they were happy with their performance because honestly. From where they were playing to where they played against Sweden, you would have been like, wow, what a team. But they tied that game. They went into, like... Okay, let's it, talk No, no, this. no. They went in 0-0. They scored no goals. They went into penalty kicks. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't ever remember a time when you could celebrate a 0-0 result. Right, and, right. And right. Not, not just to say that, but there was nothing. And I go back to this again. When it was 0-0... Are we playing that game to win it? Or are we playing just not to lose it? Because in the Netherlands game, like why we were even up in the middle of the night watching that game is because we were okay with a 1-1 game yeah. against the Netherlands. We didn't go to win that. Yeah. Portugal, same thing. Okay, Great wait, for let's that. take a breath. I, I actually want to say one more thing <laughs> while I'm in this breath. Okay. <laughs> Emily Sonnet. You've waited a long time for that moment. Obviously, the result wasn't the result, but that's a long time of training your ass off and being there for your teammates. And I thought you played Aww. phenomenal, and I'm so proud of you. And and you know what? I don't think you were put in a situation to succeed. And you succeeded I, and anyways. You succeeded anyways. You succeeded, <laughs> and I love you for that. Um, and and I'm sorry that it's still a moment that doesn't feel good to celebrate in. Okay, so I want to talk about results and performance because what, what I feel like I heard watching the game was like, now our performance is so good. And in the, in the post-match, it was like, we performed so well, right? And yeah. I understand where that's coming from because, one, we have a performance from the prior three games that was being compared to that we improved on. But I think, and it's a question, it's like, aren't results a part of performance too? And yeah. like, was the performance good? Like your point, we tied, I think I heard it was like 280 plus minutes that we didn't score a goal in a World Cup. Wow. Can you say that's a good performance if you're not scoring? Um, you know, 
and I look at the game and like, we did not lose the World Cup last night. We lost the World Cup over mm. weeks, months, days, whatever the, the time frame is. Mm. Like, like I said, it was a slow burn all leading to that moment where the ball was parried and up in the air and it barely went over the line. Mm. It was like a slow burn to that moment mm. because like, we should, we should have been playing against South Africa at 7 p.m. Pacific time and it would have been a different game. And that performance would have been good enough to get us through, right? Mm. And like the whole idea of like performance and results, like people had said prior, like we got the results we got through. We did not get the results. Yeah. Because we were if we playing did. on tough opponent yeah. because we didn't get the results. If we did get the results, we'd be playing at, at 7 o'clock and on the yeah. West Coast and it would have been very different. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, you're right. The, the, let's, let's be really clear. The results weren't there, and the performance wasn't there. Yeah. So, so let's just like get that out because both of those things were true. What I heard from you and the commentators and all the fans the whole tournament is what's happening. That is like how I'll remember this World Cup. What's happening? Yeah, and I think we were like trying to reassure ourselves, and I think the team was almost trying to reassure us, like it's okay, we got this. Like we're grinding out the results. Like we're gonna get better. Like, like, and I trust the team, you know? Like I trust that. Um but but the reality is it didn't get better. And 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 that performance is not a performance, you know, maybe it's a performance that that beats Sweden on on a different bounce on a different night, but it's it's not a team that would win a World Cup. Maybe they get through to the next round, but I, I said it over and over again, it it wasn't going to win the World Cup when they were going to come out or leave the tournament. It's just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when and you know the rhetoric to be fair, like I kind of knew it was going to be this game because of the rhetoric, because of this idea that there was this complacency in, well, we made it to the round of 16. I don't know in all my days that we said we made it to the round of 16. Like that was some kind of celebration. And I, as being part of the Osman Sash team, you don't compare yourself to anyone. Anyone. And the fact that we were celebrating because, you know, Germany's out, Brazil's out. So, Maybe it's okay if we go out because we can say, well, they went out, so we can kind of hide behind this shadow of, you know, the world's catching up, the game's changing. No, that doesn't belong in the U.S. Women's National Team. That talk, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Because I wouldn't want to be a part of a program that settled for the round of 16. I wasn't a part of that program. Like, and I become passionate about this because I dedicated my whole life to that team. Since I was a kid. We're a mess. I'm a mess because. <laughs> this is awful. Because when I see that team, I don't see myself in that team. You I know, know? And, and I love those players to death. Like those players are like closer to me than some, than anything in this world. And when I don't see like my players being set up to succeed, that breaks my heart. But you know what? It's, it's like, we have to, you have to like take a step back in it because it's like, why? Was there any conversation about being okay with being in the round of 16? It was because the football and all the things we talked about, the preparation, it took away the belief. It did. And we started hearing like, we'll make it to, like, we're the plan's still to make it to the final. What do you mean the plan's to make it? I remember <laughs> being 22 years old, scared out of my mind, being like, we win or we bust. Yeah. Having no idea what that means. Yeah. But that's just what was like nailed, drilled into my yeah. head. And it's like... The, the, the way that the team was throughout this tournament to me showed that they 
had the blinds pulled up and they could see that it wasn't good enough. And so they were then trying to smile and make it through it because they had to show an air of confidence. And then they were saying, you know, like, well, the world's catching up because they were like trying to be optimistic and positive and say the things and do the things that they thought could give them the best chance to still win because that's the heart and soul of this team. And, and, and it's win no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're saying something that you don't believe, if you're like faking it to you making it. Like I believe that every single player did and said every single thing with the most intention to win. Um, and I think that it's, it was, it's the program that, that let every person down. And I will say the, the criticism on the of the team, um, of the players, of the attitude of what the team represents, like there's no, there's literally no place for that. Like this, yep. this is a team that we are incredibly proud of, yeah. um, that this is a team that win or lose represents every single one of the best pieces of this country, of the spirit of resilience of progress and change and faith and hopefulness. And like, I know in my heart that this is a moment where you 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 are reborn. You lose and you're reborn. And that is the Gamble spirit better. of the US Women's National Team. Like no matter what happens, even a loss, even a heartbreak, even a, a catastrophe of last night, it's like you wake up and you go again because that that is us, that is who we are, that is who this program is. And it wasn't reflected in the way that we combined on the field. Yeah. It wasn't reflected in our faces right after the match. Like there was all these things, but it's like, no, I know the truth. And there's no facade sitting here on the couch that I could say that that, that has ever changed. Yeah. And it will never change. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful team. It's a beautiful group of players, some really special players that I think like, for the last time we'll see on a World Cup stage, you know? Um, you always think of like how you're remembered. And, you know, I don't know in what situation we don't have Alex Morgan in taking a penalty in what seemingly feels like it's her last World Cup. That type of responsibility that you have for a team being a player like she is, I don't know how she's not. Can't make I don't. any sense of it. You know, she had to watch that, you know. She couldn't help the team in that moment. And, you know, for all the criticism that any play player can have, you know, you want your biggest players in the biggest moments. And that was hard. That was hard for me, you know, to not, to not give, have her have that. Um, for players that, you know, weren't prepared for moments because of, that are no fault to them, you know? You get called to put on that shirt, you're putting on that shirt, you're gonna do it to the best of your ability, but were all the players prepared in the way that needs to be for a world championship? Was the group as a whole prepared in the way that it needs for a world championship. Well, clearly not. Congratulations, my former teammate, my friend, Sweden captain. It's so cool to see how you've grown into the player you you are. But I'm gonna keep it quick because you're traveling and you have a quarterfinal matchup to look forward to. But first question, how did your team prepare for the U.S. team. And thank you, my friend. Yeah, how do you prepare playing against the U.S., you know? You can have all these tactics, and uh, obviously we know the U.S. are like an attacking-minded team. They always show up on the big moments. Uh, obviously, we heard about the people criticizing the team and all of that, but we know they always race to the occasions. It doesn't matter what they've done before. They always show up. 
And that's what they did against us. I mean, they did, had a great game against us, but we always know it's a physical battle every time we play each other. So you can have the tactical part uh, is one part, but in the same time, it's like uh, the fighting spirit, the battle. Too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's insane. It's very uh, intense games every time we play each other. Obviously, we did not want it to go to penalties. Uh, I think that's the most brutal way to lose a game. I think the U.S. had an amazing game against us, and I think, but at the same time, it's you have to get have the details with, with you. You know, it's like, the, uh, and that's what we did, like the crossbar and the penalties and all of that. Uh, but it's a brutal way to to lose on, you know, penalties. I experienced yeah. it myself. Uh, I know how heartbroken the players are. At the same time, uh, uh, we we've lost and won on it before in the Olympics. Last Olympics, we had two penalty shootouts, so we have experience from it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it was an insane game, um, and I'm super happy and proud of my team. It's like uh, just the mentality we show show in the penalty kicks. Like we have a girl that's like 20 yeah. years old shooting yeah. the fifth penalty. I mean, with all the pressure, and uh, but we know we're doing this together. The team spirit we have, it's incredible, and uh, we talked a lot about this. You can talk about penalties, so much emotion, emotional things. But I think we talked about it. Now I'm talking a lot. Sorry, <laughs> but it's like yeah, we have a we have a also like a mental coach, and it's all like when you shoot a penalty, you can't you can train as much as you want on it. But when you come there, you can not prepare for yes. the feelings you, you will have. You will be nervous. You just have to accept it and be prepared and know what you want to do and just be in the moment. You know. So I think that's what the girls did, and uh, luckily we had the the Marigonals with with us yeah no I I thought it was fantastic I mean I think penalties are a brutal part of football but they're becoming more normalized in how we prepare for them before I think it was kind of like go out there and do your best but now it's actually something that's practiced both on the technique but also on the mental side so it's cool to see that kind of evolution to a part of the game that before was kind of just like a flip of the coin it's not really like that anymore um, and you know, we've experienced it, both our teams to be on the winning side of that and the losing side of it. And it doesn't ever feel great. Um, but I want to go into something that I think you and your teammates said, which I think is important, um, due to the criticism that the U S women's national team has been given during this tournament is what do you think the U S women's national team means to the global game? The U S women's national team, they're pioneers. I mean, you you are raising the game. You're opening doors for the rest of the community. You know, the rest of the world. You know, you're first with everything. And I had an interview with an American journalist yesterday, and he was talking so much. The question, I was like, how can you ask me this? He asked the basically, oh, the women's, uh, the U.S. are talking about the. The American team, it's so over, you know, la, la, la. And I was like, don't talk shit about the American <laughs> team. They're, that's basically what I said. I was like, yeah. you can't say this. Like, you have an incredible team. You had Also, you had a great game, you know. We had an amazing goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, you're raising the game on every level, on and off the pitch, especially off the pitch. This is what needs to be taken, you know. It's women's football, and we... And our generation are pioneers in every yeah. kind of way, like for the next generation. And the, yeah. the U.S. national team are taking so many battles that 
are opening doors for the rest of the, uh, the world to do the same. In Europe, we always say, oh, did you see what what the American players did? Oh, that's amazing, you know, yeah. we, we should do the same, you know. And I said yesterday too, the U.S. should encourage you. They need to be more positive. They will never be able to be in your shoes, you know. Yeah. and trying to always fight for the equal rights. And that's what we're doing in Europe too. But I know you'll get a lot of criticism and all of that. That always comes along with having an opinion, you know. Yep. But the, in the end, it will all be worth it. I, and I told them, you should be proud of your team. And I mean, you're doing so great. And I think you, it's hard to all, always take in the battles and people having opinions, but they, they will never be in our shoes. And uh, yeah. so I don't understand the criticism. I think you, people need to be more encouraging and uh, positive towards the U.S. because the reason why you have so much pressure is because you've been winning all the time. You've been performing all the time. You know, you've got the results. Obviously, the and now when more uh, countries are investing more in women's football, the game is raising, you know. You're maybe not over here and the rest are here. Maybe yeah. it's like the U.S., you're still number one in the world, but the other teams are getting closer, you know. So, yeah, uh, and that's something but, we, should, uh, we should all be proud of. You know, that's we should a, be proud of that yeah. because the quality of the game is raising. Everything yeah. is raising. Investments are raising. Like, I mean, the women's football has a beautiful uh, future, but it would not have it if we wouldn't take the battles, you know, if we yeah. wouldn't have an opinion, if we would stay happy with everything that's been in former generations, you know. So for me, I'm sweet, sweet, but like I'm proud to see the work you guys are doing in the U.S. and you should never stop doing that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, it's really important. Um, and speaking of important, you have a quarterfinal matchup with Japan. Yeah. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. My favorite part about international football is when these different styles clash. And this is very different. Um, and yeah. obviously Japan's, um, I think, shocked some people, but probably not us because we know how Japan are in, in major tournaments. Uh, but they've been doing pretty well. Um, I think you all didn't have your best game against the U.S., which I think is set you up for a really good quarterfinal because I know Swedish mentality and you all will come out. Um, I have a big prediction on this one uh, that I won't tell you. Um, but what are you looking forward to most about that matchup? I'm really looking forward to it because Japan, we know them since before. Uh but obviously it's a team that's impresses me the most impressed me the most i just love the way they play you know yeah, they're it's beautiful. so yeah it's so beautiful they're constantly in movement one uh, to touch all the time crazy finishing i mean they're against spain they had four uh, shots four goals you know <laughs> i mean what's so, more efficient than that it's it's so easy it looks just easy and that's like football should be it should look yeah. easy uh, i hope it doesn't look easy against us <laughs> but i really i love playing <laughs> i love playing against teams with a completely different style you know but also against the best teams us was yeah. obviously one of them japan will be that too uh we have the strength and mentality that we've been winning games in different kind of ways like yes. we have a last minute winner against south africa uh, set pieces against Italy, um, the U.S., uh, and then Argentina. Uh, play uh, uh, a lot of players that got the uh, um, 
time to play that haven't been playing that much uh, yeah. U.S. penalties. So we know we've been through it all almost, it feels like. So let's see how it'll be against Japan, but we'll be more than ready. But I'm really looking forward to that game. I mean, we're so we're physical, but they're like yeah. super, super technical. It's the, it's the kind of matchup that you love to see. Um, and as you know, in order to win a World Cup, you have to beat the best teams. And you've now gone through the U.S. Um, you have Japan, um, which we're all looking forward to. You know that I will be cheering for you. Um, I can't yeah, wait I hope that's to watch your make, <laughs> watch your magic, watch you move through defenders um, like only you can do. Um, but I wish you and your team the best of luck um, and the rest of the tournament. Um, and thank you so much for for coming on and saying everything that you did. Thank you so much, girl. It was so nice to see you. Good to see you, too. Thank you. As promised, we're here with the legendary Dawn Scott. And... <laughs> Welcome to the show. And Kristen will now read her bio. All right. Dawn Scott is arguably the greatest sports scientist and performance coach in the game. She's worked with England, the U.S. Women's National Team, Inter-Miami, and is currently at the Washington Spirit. Her work with the U.S. Women's National Team helped produce two World Cup championships and gold at the Olympics. USWNT former captain Christy Rampone called Dawn the secret to everything. Megan Rapinoe said she wouldn't have won the Ballon d'Or without her and she continues to raise the level of resources and care given to professional players. We are so honored to have you on The Recap Show today. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you, guys. It's great to be here. Great to see you guys again. <laughs> um, those are some big words there. They are. Um, <laughs> I'm flushing a bit here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will add my own to that resume. Um, I will say we had Jill on the show and she talked about these super factors that were used to win World Cups and how they identified them. Uh, when I think of a super factor, I think of Don Scott. If we were to boil the ocean to figure out what made <laughs> what made the US Women's Dash team great, you would be that. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to be able to dive into like really important things going on in the game right now um, from a perspective that only you can bring um, because you're the mastermind behind the science, the data, you're in the trenches with the players. Um, you've always been pushing for better and for more. Um, so, so thank you so much. Thank you guys. I really, really appreciate that. I really appreciate those words because for me, I've only ever being passionate about football first and foremost. And then I guess when I realized women also played football, um, because again, when I was growing up, there was an opportunity for girls to play. I was then passionate about the women's game. And then, um, yeah, just kind of then helping to grow the game. And for me, it's always been about that passionate side. And then just always kind of the culture and values that my parents instilled in me in terms of like being a hard worker and I feel like that in terms of like the attention to detail and the mastermind again absolutely flattering because i don't see myself like that but i would always just look for okay any single player what things can impact performance and let's make sure we hit every single one and probably you guys probably got sick of me because i'd be <laughs> so like focused have you done this whether it's nutrition or sleep or recovery but i think it was always looking at that attention to detail and making sure we cover every single outcome for every single player so really appreciate the kind words like i say i just feel like probably one of my underlying traits is that i've only ever worked hard and 
you know, hopefully that then has paid off, whether it's England early days, but obviously you guys were, for 10 years, it was unbelievable, you know, just being involved with you guys for those 10 years. Yeah. Don Stata. Don Stata. And speaking of, like, uh, hard work, there's a sound that comes to mind when I think of your hard work, and it was... (laughs) When do you know what she's gonna say? No. When you were when you had a room that was close to the snack room, and at you know six o'clock in the morning or probably earlier, which was the blender. That sound good, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you found the blender. <laughs> was the blender going off um, where you were individually making every person shake to the exact liking? Of what of what was required for them to to not only force them to drink it but somewhat enjoy it, um, and that's the like just the beginning like the tip of the iceberg of the level of detail that went into what you did um, for the team. Yeah, those those days probably made me like dislike the variations in milk you could get almond, <laughs> coconut milk, oat milk. To this milk. day, yeah, no yeah, one seriously. has ever made me a protein shake as good as yours. <laughs> Not even close. And it's mad because I feel like <laughs> I don't know what day, was in it, but oh, there was some there good was stuff some, in there. On the odd day, somebody it. else would make it. You guys would oh, realize. We knew. Yeah. <laughs> it was just wild. we knew for a second. You were like, please, like, can I get some help? Can I at least get somebody to make the shakes? And we'd be like, it just doesn't taste the same. You know, you know it's fun- like when your mom makes a PB and J sandwich. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you want your mom to make it. But fun fact: the very first camp this season with Washington Spirit, because we were still getting staff with visas, etc. <laughs> guess who was making the shakes at ten o'clock at night? Oh, and I was like, okay, I'm in the trenches roots. with a group, but like this is my last time making those shakes. Oh, but you know gosh. what? I think it is important because your role was so much about getting us to push and go the extra mile, the extra inch, even when we couldn't even see the value. But you modeled that mm. by the way that you approached your job. Oh, so yeah. like the the late, early mornings, the late nights, doing, you know, stalking everything the way we wanted, <laughs> like just going the extra mile. Then when you came to me and you said like, do an extra run, it wasn't like you yes. were like telling me what to do. You had like modeled it. Um, and what Tobin said was boil the ocean. You know, you're you're <laughs> the differentiator. Christy Pone says you're the secret. So the US Women's National Team, we say, what's the secret? It's done. You've been on the team for, you have been on the team for with the team for a decade. What do you think was the the secret to the success? I mean, obviously, like my big area was the physical, but I think obviously the technical, tactical, you know, all of the work here initially, uh, two thousand ten eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously the tactical, technical detail. Jill, Tony, uh, Steve Swanson, Graham Abel brought in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we've also got to look at the growth of the women's game. Um, I think it's remiss not to look at that where, you know, across those years, suddenly there was a change in technology. So now, okay, in terms of the individualization of your training, we can now look at, you know, heart rate, GPS, and can we marry those together and give you individual focus programs? I think the commitment of you guys, like I only ever say, we can give you the tools, but only you guys can dedicate yourself and do it. So that is a Don saying. Yeah, but my, <laughs> but it totally is that because I can't like I can't do any of it for you or yeah. force you to do it. But you I did. Still, you hold you held their hands. You did. But I still <laughs> remember. You hold their hands and us. <laughs> but I still remember 2015. Like you and uh, JJ would play games and then do top up runs afterwards. I sure do remember. You know what I mean? But like that was kind of what you guys did to get ready for the final. Wait, can you explain that? Because a lot of people always ask me like, why are those players running? Are they being punished? Like what what is a top top up 
front or top off front? Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen in 2014-15, so first and foremost, all of the research data out there is on the reference 70 kilogram white male. So, you know, probably once we got GPS in, which is a unit you wear on your back and it tracks you on the field so you can measure distance, distance and the different speed thresholds, we would then get a profile for every single position but then even every single player in a position. So say you guys, when you were playing wide, like you had different profiles. Mm -hmm. And then at Chris, when you were playing a nine, your profile to say Abby or um, who else came in through Carly. the years? Uh, Carly or, or Alex, yeah. obviously, um, was a different profile. Mm -hmm. So, okay, what is Kristen's profile in the nine or the seven? I think for club at the time you were playing nine, but for national team, it was going to be a seven where some of that intense work, which is when you're more involved in the game, which when, um, I don't know, you, you're attacking into kind of the, the opposing half and you're kind of crossing the ball or you're onto a through ball or you're recovering as well to stop mm -hmm. the other way. So some of that high intensity work was much higher when you were coming in with a national team mm -hmm. than it was with club. So for me, the only way you could then get you ready, one is part of your training, but then, okay, play a game and then in a, in a safe manner with control running, Let's top you up so that you're actually getting the same amount of high speed or high intensity running that you would be covering with a national team. So now you're coming with a national team and actually you've experienced. So have you experienced the the highest ever physical output that you're going to need to do for national team? Yeah. And Julie was the same. So I think, she would play again, 90 was, minutes. JJ yeah. and um, Kristen would play 90 yeah. minutes and then they would run after the game. And yeah. not only did that help me prepare physically, but it also was such a psychological Yeah, mentally, edge. absolutely. Like I remember, like I was so proud of that. Like <laughs> me and Jay, like on the line, like everybody else is like <laughs> game's over and we're like, our job's just starting, you know, like that yeah, gave yeah, us yeah. such yeah. a, I feel like that was such a big part of the physicality of the team the yep. whole time you were there, it was like getting through the mentality of the beep test. It was like, mm. were we really doing that to check mm. fitness or were we doing that to just like yeah. check and see if you Bit could handle? Yeah, absolutely. You know? Both of it. Yeah, 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 totally. That's a massive deal, like the physical and the mental. Um, one thing that was always a part of, I think, where the trust came for, from us to you and, and vice versa was you always educated us on the why why we were doing things, why were, were we testing for things, why were we training the way we were training. Um, and I think that was really helpful for two things, for player buy-in, um, but also for um, education to understand yeah. that, you know, women aren't just little men, which was, you know, revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Now people are actually starting to really talk about it, but these are things that you were talking about a long time ago and educating us yep. on. Talk to me about that philosophy because those, you know, those hour-long meetings that you were like, strap in everyone, <laughs> like you're you're gonna see a lot of data. Like why was that important to you that we understood the why? Because I feel like if you understand the why, then you're gonna absolutely that, like understand why maybe we're then asking you whether it's the nutrition, the recovery, you know, the super compensation of your recovery that if you know why we're saying if you can maximize your recovery post-game or post-training, it's going to get you ready for the next training session or that's when you're actually going to compensate and actually get fitter. Or, you know, I think about the 2019 World Cup where we had that real methodical process of in the locker room post-game, yeah. Chef T like prepared meals for you guys there and then. So actually, because I remember the game in um, La Havre, I think it was, where the kickoff was like 8 p.m. at night. Yeah. It was an hour on the bus, so we wouldn't be getting home till We've midnight, 1 a.m. Yeah, 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 seriously. But it's like you now start the process, yeah. and actually you can start winding down on the bus, and then you get back, mm -hmm. and it's that. So, again, if I probably just said to you, you're going to eat here, we're not going to have a meal at the hotel, you'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, that's nonsense. But then you explain the why, okay, 
have the meal now, you get it in that, you know, 60, 90 minute window immediately post game. You then can start resting. So actually you're winding down and you don't have bright lights on the bus. So now you get back to the hotel. Yeah. If you still feel like you need a bit of a snack, have it. If not, head straight to bed and then, you know, we kind of give you kind of more sleep there. So again, I just think for me, if anybody understands why you're asking them to do it, one is the education to understand why to do it, but then also empower you like, okay, these are the things, like I feel like with recovery, we made everything available, the nutrition, we made supplements or foods or whatever available. We never forced you to do anything, but we explained why each one might be beneficial and empowered you guys to then hopefully make those right choices. Yeah. What was the, um, what was the joy, like the US Women's National had talked about, like we wanted to find the joy in this last game. That was a big kind of like part of it. In the job of, that you had with the US Women's National team, like where did you find the most amount of joy? Ooh. Watching you guys play, like watching you guys train even. Like I just even remember first going in and watching some of the small-sided games and the intensity and I'd be like, wow. Um, so I think some of it was that. I think seeing individual players, you know, succeed or develop. Again, having come in in 2010, you know, like so many of you guys were, obviously you'd been in like the Beijing, the uh, Olympics in 2008, but so many players were just starting like alex was yeah, just you starting had the big generation yeah, yeah. pressy i think you came in 2012 and mm -hmm. um, played in jacksonville if i remember against mm -hmm. scotland oh my yeah, god yeah exactly see right. see see oh yeah, yeah i know i know i know <laughs> some serious there's lots of right there. uh, lots oh of knowledge gosh, and physiology i don't remember big but brain a bit of a stato but um, <laughs> so i think it's seeing like individual players and if i think back to like big moments or big learner moments um Probably one was not qualifying directly in 2010. And then I remember we had a West Coast LA group who had to fly through Paris and we had like a seven hour layover in Paris. Jeez. And there was like Abby, uh, Boxy, probably Bueller, myself, Heifetz, sat around a table and a, and a couple more. And for six hours, Abby just went, we deserve this, we deserve this, like this is our fault kind oh of thing. Yes. And for me, that, that moment was probably the biggest learning for a lot of players and staff in there that you can't just expect that yep. because the US or whoever like you're gonna succeed you always have to be humble and you know not assume those things and then I don't know like other moment like big one for me was the day before the World Cup final in 2019 when both Rose and Pino had been kind of um actually there was two things 2019 and I'll come back to the other one was the two that um they have both been nursing things and I remember the day before they had to check off okay we need to make sure they can go max speed because yeah. we don't want them breaking down and like, probably in a fight, I actually feel like I'm choking up now. And I still remember them striding across the pitch and like both turned thumbs up and it was like, okay, you're good to go. Wow. And like, that's a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then the so other cute. one, and probably this is gonna <laughs> be too impressive. It was your goal in the semi-final. Oh, like, yeah. I, and I'm choking up now. <laughs> I'm on my period, so waterworks are coming in this episode in one way or another. <laughs> um, for me, that was such a moment because again, yeah you know, in terms of minutes, like you'd come in, you hadn't played and then you played in that one. And, you know, I still can picture you now scoring and like, and like, yeah, here and now, like for me, just, just those big moments. And that is part of like, I guess being part of this family, this group, this team for like 10 years was just incredible. Some of the bonds, cause we spent so much time together. Some of it, we did this, like some of us, like, yeah. you know, at times it was goodness, like, can we, keep doing this and going through this but you know you just got to know people even if sometimes it wasn't conversation like you just 
I don't know, we'd see each other first thing in the morning when some of us are just rolling out of bed and whatever, <laughs> or I'd just finish my shakes, or like last thing at night when, you know, it's kind of end of last a long day night, and you yeah. just knew everything about everybody. For us, it felt like a level of care that was beyond anything that we could ever experience on the national team. As you know, it's a very harsh environment. Yeah, it's a very yeah, cold yeah. environment. And there's something that you did there, which was you created protection for the players and you saw each player as an individual that ha ha in their fullness. And you really met people in their moments, um, whether it be their highest moments or their lowest moments, you were there every step of the way. And, you know, we were just chatting about the players that we were texting. And it, it just reminded me of the little texts you would always say, like checking in on the players, like how impactful that is um, on top of everything else that you were doing. Um, it really was like, significant. That's the human touch, isn't it? Yeah. Like people yeah. like, this is like somebody else used this spreadsheet about sports science, like players are not spreadsheets and yeah. don't ever lose that human touch element. And yeah, like I feel like that was so important for me to get to know the individual player. All right, now we will take a much needed break. Um, and there's no better way to recover than with our friends at UFOS. We're going to take our community questions. Kristen? All right, I will go first for Kristen to ask Tobin. Specific. Jean O from Montreal asks, what do you remember about your first goal on the national team? Oh my gosh, go check out my first goal. It is <laughs> fire. Really? Yeah. Fire goal. Um, I think it was Algarve against China. I like took someone on in the dribble, chipped it over the keeper. Well, quintessential Tobin. Yeah. It's probably like all foggy and in right, black and next. white, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Billy uh -oh. from British Columbia asks <laughs> Does the milk go before or after the cereal? Well, <laughs> I actually hadn't eaten cereal as an adult in like ever until very recently. And I put in my milk second. Yeah, that's normal. I think so. That's the most normal. Like yeah. if you want to like see if somebody's a psychopath, you see which order they put it the in. The cereal would like float on the milk for a second. That would really upset me. <laughs> Heather from Ohio asks, do you like roller coasters? Well, Heather, this episode has been quite the roller coaster, but um, <laughs> no, I don't like roller coasters. No. And the reason being, uh, we actually pulled the room and everybody was convinced I liked roller coasters. And the reason being because they lock you in and I'm not one to be locked in. Um, I'd rather jump out of a plane and skydive um, or free jump. Uh, because there's there's nothing worse than feeling locked in, and I know you're gonna embarrass me that I am uh, motion sick. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna say a word. You weren't. No. You were just looking at me like knowingly. You're not gonna that say I the wasn't truth. Say it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. But you shamed those yourself. Simulated rides. Oh lord, that that doesn't make for a happy Tobin. For a happy Tobin. Thanks to everybody within our membership for submitting your questions. People are asking about our membership. Our membership is the community for change makers. You can join, uh, meet um, some incredible people with shared values. You can submit your questions for Tobin and I to answer on this show. And if your question gets on the show, we're sending you a pair of UFOs. And if you get a pair of UFOs, send us a video so we can see your reaction. Well, speaking of how well we all know each other, <laughs> tell
tell us some stories about what it was like oh, working with Tobin and working with myself. <laughs> Obviously, we've got days on end in U.S. Women's National Team camp, but we also have off seasons. The best off seasons oh ever. A big yeah, group yeah, of yeah, the, yeah, the U.S. Women's National Team would be in L.A. with Dawn for months <laughs> on end doing kind of like small trainings. And there's a lot of good memories and good yeah. times in there. So what, what's it like working with Tobin? What? <laughs> just, just me? <laughs> we'll start with you. So I started in January 2010. And so I was saying to Toman the other day in that camp, which was new to me because with England, we never had days off in camp. And this was a three-week camp. It was a typical LA January week, camp. Yeah. Probably days where there was that rain and we'd have uh -huh. flood of yep. pictures and whatever. Rainy day in LA. But like after every day off, like Toman would be checking in sore and tired and I'd be like... <laughs> what is going on here? But I'm also like the new girl from England. <laughs> and I guess the last World Cup, we got beat off the US in the quarterfinals. So um, I'm like, but after the third one, I'm like, Tobin, what are you doing on your day off? And she's like, like nonchalantly, like Tobin style with a cap on backwards, probably on a skateboard around the meal room. Oh, like I go play pickup in the car park with Yale and Kaysen Nagira. <laughs> like, during, no, like, during that's camp. not recovery. <laughs> that's camp. not recovery. Oh my gosh. That's but exactly I think what that, it's like working with Tobin. <laughs> I just think that sums up Tobin in a nutshell. One of my favorite memories of you was like the double snake against Mexico at, oh, yeah. um, in Carson. And then you cross for Abby to score. Yeah. Like, but like, you're just like so fun to watch you play. And you just absolutely love playing and training. So you were up there with one of my favorites to to kind of work with because you were just so was. easy to work with. Yeah, that smile, that smile. It's just infectious, isn't it? Yeah. It's infectious. Yeah, didn't you call her teeth? Tome and teeth. Tome and teeth. <laughs> yeah. Go for Cole, go for Cole, go for, go for yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for a nephew. And you worked with the team for a long time, so you deeply, deeply new people, which I think is a really important relationship. So we had the, you left after 2019, um, and um, obviously we're now in 2023 with this World Cup. When you left, what was the, like, if you were to pass like a playbook and say, these are the like three things that I think need to happen for the team to evolve and be like a world champion in 2023. Obviously, that's not possible now. But like, what would have been from your perspective ways that you would have tried to like implement things into the team? It's a great question. Um, I think the thing we started doing the back end of 2018 and then start of 2019 was education around female health, female physiology. And that came on the back of like 2017. I was mm -hmm. at a conference in Doha and it was on train load and most of the presenters were on males, you know, male research, male presenters. And then somebody in the audience asked about considerations for females. And so they said, oh, we've got Dawn Scott who worked with the, you know, US um, national team who were world champions. Let's ask her what she does around the menstrual cycle. And I was actually horrified because at the time we did nothing in yeah. 2017. Wow. And so like, I kind of like, like, you know, flustered through a response and then was like, Oh my goodness, I've got to do something about that. So I love that. You know, I then saw an expert in female physiology, female health menstrual cycle, and, you know, spoke through, I think, my thing of like, obviously, I always knew about menstrual cycles being a female, <laughs> but it was with 20, 25, 30 players. How on earth do you educate, support? Again, wasn't my expertise if I think back to my sports science course. There was probably one or two modules or lessons that were on menstrual cycle and definitely nothing like applied to the female athlete. Yeah. 
So then I sought out, um, you know, somebody to upskill me, train me, educate me. And then it was um, back end of 2018, started noticing with the wellness that we did. And for, for a couple of years, if you guys remember, I asked you just to put in the first day of your period in the wellness monitoring yep. app. Mm -hmm. And so, so phase one, your, your period, which is one part of the menstrual cycle. And then I was noticing with three players especially, there was one who a few days before that day, fatigue would increase another mm. one had disturbed sleep another one would always flag some kind of like muscle soreness and mm. it was like you start then plotting it. it's actually it's happening at the same time yeah so then it was like we fast forwarded in terms of the education and I checked with Jill hey would you be okay with us doing education with the team she's like as long as it's not just about injuries because again there's obviously you know some of those things out there at the minute where people are, are purely saying ACL injuries is, is around menstrual cycle periods, et cetera. Um, and I was like, absolutely not. So um, we then developed an education session, myself and Julian Haig, who mm -hmm. worked across the NWSL at the time. We'd come out and do the fitness test, sure. which you guys know. Yeah, so we'd come and do the profile. And then every year we'd also do an education on an hour with the, t with the clubs. And so we kind of did five or six each and then... He delivered and I delivered. Um, so we did an education session with the teams. And again, you know, for him, a male delivering it, he was a bit like, oh, my goodness, like, mm -hmm. I feel a bit uncomfortable doing this. But then, you know, his second session, his third session, easier. Um, even me, like, delivering it, I was like, oh, my goodness, it's not my area of special mm. like specialism. I know it. And then, you know, the more you talk about it, the more you then understand. But also players would slide down the seats and put their hood up and it was like, Oh, I don't want to talk about periods or menstrual cycle. Wow. But then as you went through the kind of workshop we presented, like you were then mentioning like typical symptoms or things you can do to reduce them. Um, and then players would kind of sit up and acknowledge and then there would be a bit of a discussion. Yeah. And then on the back of that with you guys, we did a kind of a screen. So, okay, what's like history of uh, menstrual cycle, et cetera, you know, kind of what symptoms you typically have. And then we just tracked, started tracking and monitoring and then just provided individual support around different phases where, you know, typically I work off four phases of the mental cycle. Um, like Georgie Broomvels has done education with, with you guys. And, you know, at the club now we've got Kirsty Hicks who does that with us. But um, we look at four phases where phase one is your period. So the, the bleed phase right at the start. End of phase one to roundabout ovulation is phase two and then going to go to phase four first is the premenstrual window like you know three to four days before the onset of the next period and then phase three is that kind of like window there and so then you start tracking and monitoring you know symptoms for players severity the bleed days and then the actual length of menstrual cycle itself because mm -hmm. if you probably ask the average person out there they'd say a menstrual cycle is 28 days well it can vary from 21 to 35 typically so yeah. and again that's individual for players when we were tracking some of it with um, the England team during COVID, like periods were, menstrual cycles were elongating or getting shorter because suddenly the stress is different because you're not in with a club, you're training home. And again, the menstrual cycle and having an, a typical cycle and it being regular suggests your body is in a normal kind of um, rest um, state of kind of stress. Yeah. Um, if suddenly your cycle's lengthened or your symptoms are more severe or your bleed is heavier or your blade, days bleeding are longer, it suggests there's some imbalance in your body. And that could yeah. be training, overtraining. It could be nutrition, underfueling. It could be travel or it could be some other stressor in your life. Yeah. Um, I think there was a paper recently that suggested um, uh, players who 
had some kind of um, mental stress going on, had it had like their periods were disrupted basically, mm -hmm. um, and then also potentially greater risk of injury. So um, yeah, so we then, for me, we introduced that education. Um, not sure if that's continued, but I guess when I then went to England, did similar, um, you know, and for me, that would be a big area to support individual players. It's so individual, like we spoke before about individuals. Yep. And I think it's everything, like you look at the training dose response and we could give you both the same program, but you're gonna react differently because of your physiology. Totally. Similar like hormones, like the hormones are changing every single day and your cycle is individual to you. And you know, you guys are not, not gonna be the same. And you know, across the squad of 25, 30 players, you're gonna have players with different cycle lengths, different symptoms, different severity of symptoms, some probably on hormonal contraception. So yep, again, yep. what's the impact of that on, reco on recovery, on performance, et cetera. And for me, that's the massive area. And it's it's the big differentiator of like, train women as women. Like yeah. we're past again, this reference 70 kilogram white male is what 96% yeah. yeah. of the scientific research is on. It's, so, it's such a good example. Obviously this show is like sitting at the intersection of sports and progress and equity. And your example of going into NWSL clubs and players kind of feeling uncomfortable with the idea of talking about a period and in an hour yeah. session, like starting to get comfortable and normalizing it. I think it's such a good example of that um, because there's no reason for the stigma that we have around our periods. Yeah. It's, but it's there and it's yeah. real and we don't we haven't studied it because people are embarrassed of it. Yeah, like it's agreed. ridiculous and yeah. like you come from the background of like if this can help us play better, live better, we'll do it. But it's it's transformative because it it's for everybody. It's not just mm -hmm. for athletes. Like yeah, you totally. know, and the, the some of the tricks that you brought to the national team of like dieting differently in the different phases. I, re I remember that, um, like how we introduced different food groups during the different phases yeah, to kind yeah, of yeah. balance out what our body was depleting. Um, those are types of like natural remedies and awareness that could help like women everywhere, regardless yeah, sure, of sure. Yeah, yeah, like business, business military, everything. Yeah, yeah, everything. everything. Literally yeah. everything. It's a part that like we've put a stigma on and we've turned off. Um, and I love that we're just turning it on um, and normalizing it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really powerful. The Normalize the conversation. We're um, educating to empower, like understand exactly. your own physiology and yeah. how it works for you. And, you know, yeah. that is the big aim of doing that education so yeah. that players can then track and monitor themselves and then know, like, certain phase, whether it's certain nutrients are more beneficial or anti-inflammatory foods are going to help reduce totally. severity of, you know, fatigue or muscle yeah. soreness or... There's so much. Cramps. There's literally so much opportunity, and I think it's just getting started. And like you having that realization, you know, years ago, like, wow, like, I don't have the answer to it. This needs to be studied. And opening that door is like, you know, going to be a part of like your legacy that you give to the game and you give to the world. Honestly, I really believe that. Um, and I think where we talk about like injuries, you know, this for this World Cup it's staggering the amount of injuries um, and, and also the amount of high-profile injuries that yeah. we've seen, um, a lot of ACLs. Uh, can you talk me through what you – because I think there's a little, like, rhetoric going on of why, and I think it's probably not completely accurate. And can yeah. you talk me through what's going on in the women's game that, that we ha we're seeing all these injuries? I think first and foremost, like – we have to not scare players that players are going out and thinking it's purely menstrual cycle or period related and I'm going to get hurt. Like, mm. 
I think that's first and foremost, we've got to stop that narrative so that we protect players because I, yep. I can't even imagine being in a player's shoes and they have that thought. So I think yep. that's one. I think if you then look at an injury, for me, it's so multifactorial. Like there's not one reason, one mechanism. I think if there was, we would know that by now and mm -hmm. somebody out there would be a multi-billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's like the first and foremost. So every injury is so multifactorial. And for me, there's generally kind of like three areas. One is sex differences, so anatomy, physiology. So I know we spoke before about ACL injuries, um, wider hips, females, intercondylar notch, which the ACL goes through in the knee, generally smaller for females, potentially can fray ACL, is, is that a reason? So anatomy, physiology, kind of muscle, mass of females, thermoregulation, cardiovascular, body size, hormones. So. Mm -hmm. There's all those sex differences. And again, that's why women are not small men. That's Every why it has to be studied. piece of yeah. research out there, whether it's on injuries, whether it's on training, whether it's on nutrition, whatever. Again, 97% is on the reference white kilogram, uh, white, um, <laughs> 70 white kilogram male. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Christine Yu has just written a book, which is fascinating, which talks about some of the female physiology and some of the firsts of females, whether it's the first sports bra yeah. was uh, released in 1976, which is not that long ago. Wow. <laughs> Sex differences is one, metabolism, everything. Um, you then look at gender differences. So if you now go to grassroots, what opportunities do girls get in any kind of sport or soccer compared to on the boys' side? Typically on the boys' side, if you're good enough, you're in a club and you're getting support and mm -hmm. you've got um, you know, technical, athletic development, good training, et cetera, good support. I feel like on the girls' side at the younger ages, you generally have volunteers or yep. a parent or somebody who maybe isn't qualified, doesn't know athletic development, mechanics, etc. So therefore, how are the girls being supported? And then, you know, as girls are going through puberty and start <laughs> having menstrual cycles and periods, are they educated and are the yeah, people no, working yeah. with them being educated? So that's kind of, if you feel like the grassroots, then you go to the professional end of the scale and... There's an increase in professional clubs, yep. but are they professionalised? Like, what are the staffing levels? For me, yep. the staffing resources, everything like that is so important because if you've got a roster, a squad of 25, 30 players, if you've got one performance person, you can't <laughs> yeah. support. We've just spoke about the individual. You can't do the individual support. Yep. Everybody's going to get a blanket yep. programme or if the team travels and then there's players back, who's working with these players? Who's yep. focusing on these players? Yep. That's, um, that's all resources. And the whole, like, you know, we just spoke about, like, the attention detail of nutrition, hydration, female health, menstrual cycle. You haven't got a chance and, of And we're more, more responsible for that as individuals than as, like, having somebody that theirs to provide that, that that's their job sure. that they're giving yeah, to yeah, the yeah. players, you know? Yeah. And there's so much more responsibility on us to make sure that we're okay. And as the game professionalizes, as you know, more games are being played, more games are being played at a higher intensity, yeah. the resources aren't increasing at the same rate as yeah. the game is increasing, and that's causing a really big imbalance. Yeah, because then linked to that, the demands of the game intensity is increasing. Uh, with FIFA, I did the 2019 physical analysis, and from 2015 to 2019, there was a 30% increase in the distance covered in the top speed threshold. So intensity has gone up. But then interestingly, when I then also did some comparison of NWSL game loads and US Women's National Team, there wasn't much difference. You compared WSL games to England, 
and there was about a 40, 45% increase from WSL game, which you both yeah. experienced, mm -hmm. yep. to an England international game. Mm -hmm. yep. So suddenly for players competing in England, okay, they're playing games, but actually the intensity is much lower at club, hence the Chicago mm -hmm. extra running. So that's one, but then also the number of games. Yep. Um, again, the last few years, like, I, I don't know, FIFA Pro recently released a report where they've done some trainer load and game monitoring of players going into the World Cup. And Kira Walsh had played 50 games, I think, in the past season going into the World Cup. Lindsay Horan's up there. And then yep. also they looked at players travelling, where I think the top player um, was an Australian player who travelled something like a hundred and... I want to say 120,000 miles or Gosh. something like that in the last year. Sure, Ali Riley's up there with travel. And Sam Kerr was third and Lindsay Haram was fourth or fifth. So yeah. we've now got Lindsay at the top in terms of minutes played and travel. Oof. And then have they got the support of the club and national yeah. team in terms of, you know, like the whole physical recovery yeah. medical. So mm -hmm. I think you kind of add those two, like number of games, the quick succession of games mm -hmm. and the intensity have all gone up. Mm -hmm. And have we matched that with a professional clubs in terms of the support around the players yep and that's just the physical like we're not even yeah. talking about the mental the emotional yeah. um aspect of it it's so interesting to look at the gender differences and the sex differences i actually had never heard it broken down that way but i think it nets out to the reality that the, the infrastructure is not being built to support female professional athletes to stay healthy um, and Dawn, you are a woman before your time. Um, you follow the trends, you follow the data. So what is, what's next for women's football? The research, you know, let's put more fundings as well, investment into research on yep. female specific athletes. But then also I think with that is, is, you know, like sports scientists or researchers working together so that you actually have bigger data sets because yep. if you just have one team and it's 20, 25 players, there's only so much insight or information you can get from that. Again, I think it's combining, you know, some of those data sets. You have bigger data sets and you can answer bigger questions. So I think it's those two hands in hand. Like, first and foremost, the investment. So we get better support around players so that we know they're getting that bespoke individualized support. And then the second piece, which is not going to happen overnight, is that long-term research. So we start to answer some of the questions specific about female athletes yeah. and not just the reference white 70 <laughs> kilogram <laughs> so basically just more don scotts and like you know the more whole don's data. more more uh, data <laughs> scientists with our powers combined type um behavior um so unfortunately we just watched or witnessed the us women's national team um lose in the round of 16 um their earliest exit from any uh, world cup what um looking at this team um i guess my question is you have known the national team and been a part of it for a really long time um and know that program deeply what do you think is the biggest difference between kind of the national team that you know you knew um and the national team that you're seeing now and and you obviously are working with you know, players, younger players now that are, are emerging. But, like, what are, what's the generational difference? And it's not to say, like, I think people want to compare generations and say, this one is better than this one. And I go back to the grumpy old Tobin being like, oh, I'm my generation. <laughs> no, like, I believe this next generation, like, this is the generation, right? This is the world that they've been grown up in. So it's very different. But what do you think are the biggest differences and what do you think are going to be the main challenges in this next generation? 
Great question. Uh, way to put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously, was up early watching that, so pretty devastated with that. Obviously, I'm English, so there's a bit of support for England, but, you know, having really? worked with a team for so long. I didn't long. know yeah. that you were for England. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Horrifying. <laughs> Get her off the shelf. Off, <laughs> off. <laughs> um, yeah, differences. I think, firstly, and I think you guys recognise this, like nobody ever knows what's going on in a camp. So mm -hmm. I think we also have to acknowledge that because sometimes, you know, sat at home watching the game, it's so easy to be... So easy. Yeah, 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 to be the analyst and say this, that and the other. I think the other thing, I think the other piece for me is, is the rest of the world has caught up because of, we've just kind of said there about the increase in professionalism. So I feel like for so long physically, the US were dominant physically, but the rest of the world has caught up because more teams now, more players are training, have the opportunity to train full time. So mm -hmm. I feel like that physical gap is closed. So then it's okay, how can the US then be successful yep. or be evolve. yeah mm -hmm. evolve in other areas or, mm -hmm. or be the difference in other areas um you know as well i guess the youth pathway you look at the success or not of the of the youth teams and mm -hmm. then the players coming through but i think the other piece there's no doubt the talent of players they have got there yeah you know those players coming through you know yeah. probably bias wise but you know trinity rodman <laughs> ashley sanchez <laughs> Andy Sullivan, <laughs> Aubrey Kingsbury. <laughs> And then there's others. <laughs> um, you know, Sophia Smith, Naomi Goma, like they've got an amazing group of younger mm -hmm. players coming through. You obviously always have transition of, you know, kind of um, maybe some of the more senior players kind of phasing out. But um, I think it's now finding what is their differentiator or wow factor to the other teams yep. because physically, because every other team has caught up and they should, like if they're not, they're doing something wrong because... Yep. They're now all training full time, which is kind of like I always a few years ago used to speak about the US team. Like we're not a club team. We're not mm. quite a club team, but we're more than a national team because mm -hmm. we spend so many days, like 200 so days a year on the road. We had to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's the not, club environment wasn't good enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have yeah. longer off seasons. It's not like that anymore. Though. Yeah. I think you, you, you talked about the world catching up, right? That's not to say like we've reached our peak physically. I actually think like when you talk about physicality, like we should still be like that yeah. is a great strength yeah. of yeah. our mentality we should still be pushing like physically but i think it's actually being more and i talk about a marriage between tactics and technique um and i think physically like if you marry then the physicality with the tactics and the technique yeah. Yeah. like all of those things should still be evolving and yeah. like we need to figure out a way to evolve and to evolve faster than other people because that's the way you stay at the top. You don't stay at the top by by staying mediocre. I remember 2015 to 2019, we would not win 2019 if we were the 2015 team. We had to evolve, we had to change, we had to adapt. And I don't know what the if there was any um, or what the adaptation was between 2019 and 2023 um, or like obviously there were new players, but like I don't know what was circled that said this is how we win the 2023 World Cup. And if there was something circled, please somebody let me know what they were because I didn't see them or anything that could have helped us. Mm. Harsh. <laughs> Good thing that's why I said I didn't know. Um, but just to, to close out, Don, thank you so much. This is a conversation that is so needed and so valued. We've been 
fortunate enough to have you as part Thank of you. our journeys and our you. lives, and yeah. it has transformed us as people um, and has allowed us to step into our power, which you've given to so many people, um, and you're going to continue to do so. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all right the... Here, marginal Scott. Gains, right? <laughs> as most of you know by now, we like to finish each episode by looking forward to a matchup. And the one that I'm looking forward to is the quarterfinal matchup between Sweden and Japan. For anybody that loves international football, and in particular World Cups, these are two teams that have very different styles of play, and two teams that are coming into this game with probably a little bit different of performances. Sweden completely underperformed in their game against the US, while Japan keeps doing no wrong in this tournament. I'm worried about Japan on set pieces, and I think that this could be a very strong test for them. I'm gonna predict 2-1 Sweden. Let's see if I'm right next episode. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe. The Recap Show is a Re-Ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. The show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, showrunner Billy Scafiri, creative producer Tara Aquino, associate producer Ali Khan, director of photography Awana Vasil, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, production sound mixer Destiny Ferrant, assistant editor Neil Davis, motion graphics Eddie Ramos, production designer Elaine Carey, production assistants Lauren Strummel, Olivia Reiner, and Jasmine Wasserman. Hair, Ramon Garcia, and John Jamar IV. Stylist, Sarah Borgesi. Makeup, Stephen Molesky. The first season of The Recap Show wouldn't be possible without the support of our incredible sponsors, including UFOS, Ally, UKG, and Tequila Comos. Thank you. Re-Inc. was founded in 2019 by USWNT champions Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Megan Klingenberg, and Megan Rapino, with the mission to make the world a more inclusive and equitable place for all. A brand that lives at the intersection of sports, progress, and equity. We offer eco-conscious, gender-free fashion, creative goods, a membership that invites anyone to join in the pursuit of boldly reimagining our world. And with the creation of The Recap Show, we are launching a new content division to change the way women are seen and experienced in sports. Thank you for tuning in.